Well, good afternoon to you all there. Welcome to Sunday Sessions, 18th of October, 2020. Now, what happened there? <laughs> I said there was, I warned there was going to be text. Well, thank you very much for joining me. I'm having, I'm going through a bit of a, a technical challenge at the moment. So excuse me if I sort of wander off uh, for a little bit in a moment. I use two computers for this setup and one of them is uh, doing silly stuff. And I'm trying to, while I'm talking to you, is trying to get it to behave kind of thing. Anyway, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, and this is our weekly time as usual for exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this to your favorite outside sanctuary space, whether it's in your favorite woodland or your garden or up a mountain or up a hill. It's such a lovely day here. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you are. And through that, expressing inspired visions from your sanctuary through your writing, art, craft, performance, problem solving, and vocation. And as advertised, uh, today's Sunday session is fire dragons, serpents, and snakes folklore. Now think for a moment on that because I think I've got the second computer on the verge of behaving itself. I'm just giving it a check up now. No, it's definitely not there. This is like something from Monty Python, isn't it? Well, as some of you watching may know, I hosted an overall dragons, uh, serpents, and snakes folklore session a few months ago towards the beginning of the uh, lockdown, I think. But there was so much content I was trying to get out, and I was jumping from one thing to another because there were the fire serpents, there were the water serpents, the sky serpents. There were your lovely questions. And I really had to bang, 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 go right through it. So today, I'm going to wander, it still be a bit of a wander, through the stories and traditions of fire dragons and snakes and serpents and a few of their fire traditions. Unfortunately, I did put the offer out, but there isn't any live guests bringing their poems and stories today. So I trust that you'll enjoy my company for a while here. Uh, and let's see who's, uh, who's uh, saying hello here. Uh, we've got uh, <laughs> Joanne's here. Hello, John. Um, that's great to see you. And because uh, I was watching her, she was doing a lovely live video and explaining her mission, what she's doing, and gave me some lovely tips, or well, giving everybody lovely tips on Comfrey, which is kind of off subject, but it was wonderful to relax to before coming to see you here. And uh, hello, there's someone else here. Um, Right, Lema's here, and hello, Lemon, and Gagana, I hope I pronounced that right, and there's Shell here as well. Uh, fabulous, thank you all for being here. As I say, I'm watching all of the, uh, the tech here because I'm trying to get uh, one bit of equipment in action, which is refusing to do its thing even now. No, I'm not getting anywhere. Oh, maybe, maybe there's something. Ah, I, Oh, I think I'm going to be lucky. Let's try. Excuse me for doing this. Um, anyway, in this, uh, uh, in this session, what I intend to do is cover the fire serpent 
and the fire serpent uh, within us. And I'm going worldwide with this, well, international anyway, but also relating these uh, international stories to our local stories. And we do, we're fortunate enough to have some quite amazing uh, dragon stories that are actually are around us. But first of all, let's consider what is a dragon? It's something we might know from fairy tales, something we might be scared of. And um, I have a robin above us who's trying to tell the story as well, because I think the robins are, are kind of related to the dragons uh, in some way. And, um, but in the West, we think very much of the fire-breathing, four-legged sort of creatures, and they have wings. But in the East, uh, the serpents there, the dragons there, they don't have fire. Uh, they don't... Uh, they have no wings and they're sort of uh, four-legged. They're highly intelligent and they're, they're kind of wise. And I think I'll be, uh, I'll show you a few pictures coming up. Uh, that's, there we go. That's the sort of illustration of the fire dragon uh, within us. Um, and I've got uh, labels up here. And this is one of these days where I wish I was an octopus. And uh, there's, uh, there we go. That's more the fire dragons that we're kind of more familiar with. And these are the sort of water dragons uh, that we tend to have in the east. But this is a lovely artist impression, I think, of the fire dragons within us. And if you go over to um, oh, Clare Island, into the abbey there, they have amazing... Uh, drawings on the walls, uh, very old, medieval, uh, I forget what the technical name is, the drawings on the walls, and they have this lovely dragon there. So somehow it came into the abbeys as well. Um, excuse me as I try and get uh, things moving here. Uh, this is still, computer is still doing weird things, the second one. Anyway, I'll... I'll I'll keep adapting without it because I don't think it's going to be hay for a while. And anyway, water dragons, these uh, lovely creatures here that are really from the east. I'm going to come back to that in the spring because water serpents in spring, especially in related to the in-bulk and breeder traditions, are very close uh, with that as well. But in the west, the monsters and the serpents, we seem to think they're tamed by heroes that are in stories and we have them living in caves and uh, they hoard treasure and they breathe fire onto anyone that comes near and there's one no oh, even this computer is kind of you know, there's there's definitely some wonky things going on now because i'm outside it's probably the last time uh, to anyone that comes near so i'm going to have another go at trying to get this thing that I'm trying to get going for you here, um, and then we'll have some better continuity. There, right. Okay, now it's still not behaving. It, uh, it's just going all over the place. Anyway, the fiery dragons is, say, Western influence, and there's a uh, I think some of the imagination has come about because uh, there's actually been a discovery when people were discovering dinosaurs, 
they thought they were uncovering dragons. Well, there's there's one that's not a <laughs> that's a sort of kindly one. Uh, there we go. That's um, that's the sort of thing when they dig up a dinosaur, they think uh, that they've uncovered uh, dragons. Excuse, hold on to that thought for a while, as I I think there's a bit of stability coming on here. Um, right, and one thing, um, this is the word dragon, as I try and continue here, and, I'm get, and this one is dracon, the word dracon means uh, scaly, and I think I've got something on that, and this, I'm going to be talking about these words here, because um, there's a character uh, of a story, I've told it a few times here, this uh, creature here, Dracon, and uh, the thing with Dracon is that uh, there's a story. It's really centered around County Cavan, kind of in the more, more select areas south of um, Ballyconnell. And uh, there was a general story that the sea people, the Fomorians, they, would, they were all men. It said they were perhaps from Iceland, Greenland and Iceland known as the land of men. And it was said that they would come ashore and they would try and lure the Tudodonan women with uh, uh, gold rings or with gold, something of gold, something of fancy. And through doing so, they will woo them and have their way with them. And, um, and they would come back later. Of course, these Tudodonan women that would get pregnant and uh, they would come back, and if the women had sons, as when the sons would grow up, they'd be taken out to sea as well, well to be with the men, whereas the women would be left uh, for the farming. Okay, I'm, I'm having to leave this again. This is, uh, right, okay. Yeah, computer is definitely blinking again. I'll, I'll come back with you. Anyway, Gronya. She'd already lost a mate. She had lost, uh, she hadn't had any sons, so she was kind of a chieftain. And uh, Draken, one of the Morians, came ashore to have his way. And uh, there was no way that he was going to get away with it, uh, with her. She was, she sort of fought with him. Of course, it was the usual three days. And in the battle, she chopped off his head, chopped off his arms, and then she actually buried his head and then the two arms put over his head uh, in a crisscross so that his spirit would go right through to the underworld it wouldn't come back out and wander around and become a nuisance um okay i'm just having another go at getting this second thing going but um and as i i'm bringing up in other I bring up in other stories uh, on the Sunday sessions that that mere battle and the this skull with the cross bones, well, I've really explained it all, is kind of the origin and the mythology, the folklore of the creation of the Ulster flag, uh, of the Jolly Rouge, which was the nautical flag of the Knights Templar. And then, of course, we have the Jolly Roger, uh, all uh, part of it as well so uh that's the uh that's uh, i think where the word dragon might have come from 
is from uh, Drekken, uh, when he came across in the battle with uh, Drekken and Groenje. And I, I might as well show, there's a sort of a, uh, an artist impression, as I say, of Drekken. There's one. It's very difficult to find one of Groenje, but there it is. But these um, stories, they, they took on a patriarchal form, as a lot of these stories do. And um, whoops, I'm, I'm hitting the wrong thing. I'm going to be with you in a minute. Oh, this is embarrassing. This is not as I Tech. I don't know. Tech is. Uh... <laughs> Come on. All oh, right. I think I might be making some movements anyway. Um, right. Here we go. I think I might be on. Right, excuse me a moment as I kind of change things around a bit here because I've actually got something working. Um, and this will be a lot easier. Right, because um, I was kind of talking there, the origin. And what this transformed into, really, I was saying going patriarchal, is going into the stories of Dragon became George. And of course, we still have the dragon. And we still might be able to get him up. There he is. And there he is. And of course, uh, George was known as the savior of uh, women. And uh, there it is, a very distressed woman in that um, uh, picture. He's he saved her from her being devoured. And anyway, I listed snakes. Let's go on to snakes a bit. That's a little bit on dragons. And I am cutting snakes out uh, of this session, really, because um, it would just go on too long. Uh, it's, it's a long thing. I really want to concentrate on the dragons and serpents for you. So um, I'm going to return to snakes folklore in February. But there's a little bit of uh, a snaky imagery. Um, but what is a serpent? A uh, serpent to me is from the um, Latin, uh, and it's a crawling animal. And, I, and this is a lovely scene uh, from Hazelwood. I thought it was a, that actual serpent there was actually in the water, a lovely piece of wood. And each time we visited Hazelwood, it would get closer and closer. But the one thing about... Uh, the snake here, uh, coiled up, and one of the reasons I'll be talking about it in February, is really, it's a symbolism of fertility. Uh, whereas the serpent is very much related to being sinful. And often the imagery of a dragon, serpent, or snake is that of sin, evil, and the devil. And one thought, uh, the concept of Satan which is applied often to the Adam and Eve story, the fall of man. If you go back uh, into the history of that time, I don't think the concept of Satan or of an evil underworld was actually invented then. It was all just that one. Uh, that's just uh, my own feeling from it. If you actually go back, uh, if you get out of the Christian uh, blinkers and look at what the other beliefs are saying and what's been found, where the heck was Satan? It seems to be a, a kind of a medieval invention more than anything. 
Anyway, uh, I think I got this. Uh, the good news is I'm not going to tamper with that other computer. We're up and running. So let's have a look to see what uh, you're saying at the moment. Um, I know Lema was here. Uh, Gwyn's here. Uh, oh, I don't think you've been on before. Hi, Gwyn. Uh, Patricia's here. How are you doing there, Vancouver Island? And um, Brittany here. And Sherry, uh, good morning to you all. And thanks very much. Uh, for your lovely uh, viewing and patience uh, at the moment. Uh, anyway, one of my favorite stories, uh, dragon stories, is um, it's really related to the grand conception, which is the point of midwinter. I'll be going more into that story. I have done in past sessions, but it's the grand conception is where the debris of this year past is kind of transformed ready for the spring to be born the following in bulk. And that is told sometimes in a dragon or a serpenty imagery. And certainly the, the story of Doida, the Dagda that I share here sometimes, very much part of it. And it all happens locally, just up the road from here within the uh, hills of uh, Keish here, Keish Koran, and see all those caves there. And beyond that, uh, beyond those caves, and especially a big one there, uh, is said to be a mythological inner lock. And uh, inside the um, lock there uh, is the fluctuate of fire in the center. I actually threw that in there, uh, but that's a lock inside the cave. The fluctuate of fire in the center. And that's what drew the doida, the dagda, uh, into the warm water through the days leading up to midwinter uh, into the time of Yule. And it, and it was the point of the fluctuate at its hottest and warmest point is when the doida mated with the hag that you may well know as the, uh, the morrigan. Um, uh, but I tend to speak of Let's get this back up. And I tend to speak of as the more Nakorakyu, the more, let's go, uh, this is a bit of a, uh, I use this illustration, the more being large, pretty much infinite. The quor, the curry, which a curry can be a vessel, it can be a cooking pot, the curry pot, it can be a valley, it can be a hollow hill, uh, and it's certainly within a cave. So you've got the, the almighty large something within the large cave is the coup, is the protector, the one that protects. And the, you've probably heard the word kayak. And uh, if you go back for, uh, even with the word kayak, or kayak as some people say, that really means the builder of hills, builder of mountains. And when you've got these hills and mountains, especially around here with the limestone, they're going to be hollow. Anyway, I'm going to tell you a lot more about that stuff when we get up to the uh, midwinter uh, towards the solstice. But to me, as I say, it could be turned around into a dragon story. And there's this dra dragon that's uh, in the cave. And when I go up to these uh, cache caves here, the, come on, uh, uh, when I go to the cache caves here, children quite often ask me, uh, can you tell me a story of the dragons here, please? I often get that. And uh, and one of the uh, 
common uh, central themes of the fiery dragon and the serpent stories is that they are guardians of sacred places like this sort of wild lad is here. Um, and in these stories, uh, they seem to be guarding treasure. And I love that illustration. Oh, that's going to come up shortly anyway. Uh, the Garden of Treasure. And perhaps our most famous local story, though, is the, if I can pronounce it, Ellen Tracken. Now, this has got uh, various spellings and pronunciations. I think I can bring up uh, more. Here's, oh, first, let's show you this one. As I say, in the Mornacorakuan, sometimes known as the Morigronia, but the Gronia is related very much to the harvest and the browning uh, of the um, cereals of the of the barley, the rye, and the oats, and of course, in later times, the wheat. So it's an interesting. This person in the darkness would be related to Re Queen Goddess uh, Gronia, but most people talk of the Morrigan, which. Uh, came, I think is a word that really came out of the Celtic uh, Romance revival from the early 19th century onwards. But I just love, I kind of, to me, it's a personal preference. The Morna Corricuan. I love these old phrases because instead of, you know, to me, but Morrigan, you're talking about a person, a creature. You're talking about a thing. And this is what we do in modern language. The Morna Corricuan. To me, you're explaining the condition. You're not really describing a person. It's a condition where there's an entity, and there's this entity that you can actually put into an image that you might call a morrigan. And I just love, I think we forget about thinking about conditions, and I think this is a difference, as I'm often repeating, linear thinking or spiral or circular thinking. Go for the circular, the monocoracuan, Kind of wins the day. Anyway, let's go with, on with uh, Arlene Trecken. Uh, and there we go. She's Arlene Trecken, Arlene Trecken. So there's three sort of variations on her word. And uh, I, do I have a picture of her? I think I flashed it up for you a little bit earlier. Let's see if I can get her up uh, again. Uh, there's a sort of an artist drawing. And what do you see about that? Um, uh, there you go, three heads, three-headed dragon. And the basic story is that uh, she came out of the Ornagot Cave, which is not that far away from me. It's the royal area, what they call the royal area, the Rathcrawn uh, in Roscommon. Uh, excuse me, I didn't switch the phone off. Okay, I'll let that fly. Uh... Goodness, it is a day of text, isn't it? Uh, I do excuse on that. They won't go away. Sorry about that. Right, there we go. Anyway, I'll call them back later. The basic story of Ellen comes from the Ornagot Cave there. And this is very much uh, a story, a Halloween story. A Soan Knight uh, story. And how she got there uh, has various stories. I'm not going to cover that much at the moment. Um, but uh, it's said that uh, if you've heard of the story of uh, Talatka, Hill of Ward uh, in Meath, 
I'm going to be covering this with someone traditions in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, she has a similar story, unfortunately, and it's a rape story. Uh, it's one of the stories. Three lads, and uh, with Tlaka, when um, her baby was born, she actually died in childbirth, and that's how she became the goddess of the fire from Tlaka. Quite similar here uh, as well um, with Ellen, uh, because... Uh, with her, one of the stories is that uh, her mother, unfortunately, was raped. And she was born, actually, from her mother with these three dragon heads. That's one of the stories. The other one is that she was very much a shy, oppressed little girl. And she went into the Ornagot Cave uh, right here. And I'm going to show some pictures inside of there. But when she was inside of there, she met an elderly dragon. And the elderly dragon was the keeper of the, the waste from the year who transformed it into the life for the next year and really needed to pass that spirit on. And so there was this shy little girl who didn't seem to have a purpose in life had sneaked into this cave to get away from it all, was suddenly transformed into this three-headed dragon because of a spell of the elder that was in the uh, cave. And so she took on the role of leaving the land, uh, leaving the cave around Halloween, around someone. And uh, it said that uh, she would leave and she kind of went to Talaka, which I'm going to be talking about. Uh, and she also went to Emin Macher. Uh, I haven't got, uh, let's see, have I got Emin Macher? There's Emin Macher. You might be familiar if you visited that way up there uh, in Northern uh, Ireland there, uh, Antrim, isn't it? And, uh, and it's a place of a fire goddess anyway. And uh, here's one as well. This one is where Talaka is. That's uh, the Hill Award, Hill of Talaka. So it said that she would come out of the uh, cave here, uh, would fly out. That's her uh, flying away with the triple heads. And there's another one I think is uh, absolutely lovely. And she would be providing the fires uh, there and those fires were the fires it was said that um, would um, would kind of burn would transform the waste from the year uh, to go into the ground and fertilize it and enable the grand conception of midwinter ready for the inbolt and another story uh, with Ellen is she was helped by goblins and uh, copper red birds so out how she would come, again, let's get the picture up, how she would come flying up, and I haven't found a picture. Uh, it was said that, I don't know what the goblins would do, uh, but certainly the copper red birds, it said, would accompany her and help distribute the fire. And to me, doesn't that sound a bit like, uh, has some amazing parallels with Santa's helpers, the elves, and the flying reindeer. I'm wondering how much of that is interlinked, because a lot of this folklore story, they do... Um, they do, uh, they do kind of play around, don't they? Uh, anyway, um, Emigin. Uh, I haven't I've got a picture of him again, I don't think. Have I got a picture of him? Oh, there he is. He's quite known as the bard that uh, ended up taming the waters uh, when the Malaysians, the Sons of Mill, uh, came ashore, and I've told that a few times. Well, it said that he actually approached 
Now, this is where the whole thing gets patriarchal. I'll explain that why. It's said that he approached the, the three-headed dragon and uh, island, Ellen, and tamed it, and tamed it and stopped uh, the fire. It's very similar, I suppose, to Patrick, who got rid of the snake. Same idea, uh, same concept, same belief, same intent. Um, and, of course, it was all told by the medieval scribes, which I often talk about how the scribes themselves uh, had entered into a new tradition of medieval patriarchal storytelling uh, through the scribing. And the scribing itself, as I often say, it's about writing along in lines. The storytellers were telling their stories as cycles uh, and everything was going around spirals and cycles is the the way that stories are told and the rambling and i always say you know this is the place in ireland for the storytelling and you can find it out immediately if you actually go up to someone and you're lost uh of course people have their sat navs and google maps now but it used to be if you were lost you would go up to someone you see walking in the street oh it's a local they would know the area that's uh Let's find out exactly where to go, where we're getting to. And of course, where you go that way, you go that way, you get away. You're just sent around in circles because that is the condition, I think, especially when you're this side of the Shannon. That's the condition that you live with here. But the, the Saxon-based, I suppose, medieval patriarchal way was write it out. You have beginnings and ends, and it sort of breaks up the cycle. And that, to me, is what's uh, very much the patriarchal way is, uh, is linear. And it's funny, uh, since it's sort of election time, doesn't that come out with a competing? You've got one side of the people, they want jobs, they want acquisition, they want to know something from beginning to end, whereas the caring people, they just want this overall cycle of care around them. And the one thing with the medieval patriarchal stories, they would take these caring traditions like the uh, dragon and serpent traditions, which really were images to explain our conditions of the cycles and the seasons of the year, but put them into a linear form that you have, you have God on, and, or Jesus on one side, and you have the devil and the Satan and the serpent way on the other side. And so, unfortunately, this sort of gets rid. Uh, this is a, was a real challenge for the uh, triple goddess, the feminine, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And a lot of you women that we'll be watching now are probably understanding that symbolism. And another, um, another one, and I picked this recently, uh, definition, but how true it is, thinking of the triple femininity as mother, mentor, and enchantress and uh, being a mother is certainly the physical being uh, the mother but it's not essential some women a lot of women more women now choose not to actually have children but they still live a life they still have experience they still help they still care they still serve and as they learn through the service they become mentors and then they become enchantresses which means they're not really putting spells on people as enchanters. Uh, this is what witches are accused of, isn't it? Uh, you remember the, again, we're talking medieval times, aren't we? Medieval times are burning the witches, especially late medieval. And that really 
as a quote someone made in last week, and it really tells it. They weren't burning witches, they were burning women. So the enchantress is a sort of evolved from mentor to the inspiration of a person's way, their spirituality and their confidence in their inspiration and their guidance. And uh, there, was, there was three here. This is actually on Talaka again. <laughs> There's three Australians that uh, were in a group. And I thought that was lovely. And to me, uh, amongst them, and I leave you to guess who, there is definitely a mother, a mentor, and an enchantress with those three. Uh, so that's, that's the real living form uh, right on the, the hill of Talaka. Um, anyway, I'm sort of waffling on that a bit. And another Ellen story is that, um, and this is the one I love of all, is that she didn't come out, uh, she didn't just come out of the cave, that she actually traveled, they say, oh, this one's playing up again, is that she actually traveled along that cave, I showed you the entrance earlier, and the, the cave itself, it, it went up to the Cache Caves that are just here, that there was actually a passageway. So what she would do, uh, what Ellen would do uh, at Sawan time, instead of coming out as a triple dragon, uh, she may have been a triple dragon, but she would go through, here we go, there's the start of it. If you go, people who've been down or on a got cave, they'll understand what I'm, I'm showing here, because it goes down and down, and some people go down there for uh, their... Halloween or one experience. And uh, unfortunately, a JCB went down in a field and it kind of blocked up the continuation, but it was said that it kept going and it would come out in uh, Kish Koran here. And when she came, and of course the trek wasn't something that was done in a day, it was a slow trek, a very contemplating trek with the fire and uh, the heat of the, and the debris going on, the spirit of the debris. And then by the time she got into the cave, the, her fire and herself became water. And the, the ready then as water, where the mountain hag, the kayak, the kayak had blessed the dragon fire to become water. Maybe the fire of the fluctor, as I pointed out earlier. And this was ready for in bulk to provide fertility for the spring ahead. Now let's see what you're saying amongst uh, all that. There's a few extra comments. Uh, Terilyn, um, good morning. Uh, been a, a few weeks and happy to be back and glad to have you back, Terilyn. Thank you. And Gwyn is enjoying herself here. I uh, thank you for the awesome. And uh, then uh, Gwyn, is that where we get the crossbones? Yeah, you're going back to uh, the uh, Draken and Groenia, and it, I'm trying to avoid making uh, a huge uh, story out of it because I'll be going on for two hours here. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is one of my favorite stories, so I do often pop it in. Uh, the idea, anybody here been to, I can't remember the name of the graveyard, it's on Boer Island, and you have the Janus figure. And I haven't got a Janus figure to show you at the moment. But uh, with the Janus figure, it's the two faces. And if you see that uh, there, it looked like a skull and you've got the uh, crossed arms, which to me is very much uh, symbolism, again, of the Draken as buried by Groenia. 
And that's not the only one. If you actually go around the lower Loch Earn, it's strange it's lower Loch Earn because it's the north end. And there's various graveyards around there. And also in the lower Loch, uh, also in the upper Loch Earn too. I'm thinking the Gowloon, uh, where there's graveyards there. And you'll see lots of stones like that with the kind of skull and the arm. I used to think it, it was the legs, but uh, someone pointed out, no, you couldn't twist the legs off uh, in the same way. So, um, yes, and to me, that's a story that would have been an imagery, spread that imagery, and uh, Gronje did that for the reason of protection, protection of the drunken spirit. Some uh, women, I suppose feminist women might say, will be looking at as, as bringing back the balance, as bringing back the balance so that you wouldn't have the drunken spirit overwhelming everything especially the land, because they got their land, and it's the land that produces the food, it's the land for the farming, but it is the sea in its own way that uh, has the men uh, doing what the men do. I haven't fully gone into that because we actually have uh, things like Poseidon, and uh, we got, uh, oh, uh, uh, yeah, Manalur, uh, there were these various men goddesses, McMahon and Lur, um, uh, that are related to the sea. But then we have Mare itself, and I've gone into that. Mare, sea, Mary. That's another story itself. But anyway, this, this would have stuck in people's minds of the idea of this being a protector. And somehow it got spread. It became uh, a mascot, and that mascot became a flag. And it seems to have got adopted into the Ulster flag that became the Patrick's flag, became the cross flag. And then the uh, for safety at sea, uh, the, the Knights Templar, when they were chased out of France, they would sail with the gold uh, cross uh, with the Jolly Rouge, the red background. Then the British Navy adopted that, but they put a black background to it. And that was put onto ships when they were on a mercy mission. That's where you get the SOS, Save Our Souls. Uh, because when the flag was up, these boats were on uh, to save people's souls. But unfortunately, the pirates performed trickery by putting a similar flag up, and uh, they would raid these uh, Navy ships, because the, if they rescued a ship on the Mercy Mission, there'd probably be some loot and a bounty. So uh, that's a, a quick uh, version of that one. Uh, it's all going away from serpents, so... I better get back uh, onto the serpents here for you. Uh, I've got a banner that shouldn't be up. There we go. Right, to get back uh, into serpenting, uh, <laughs> I, something I usually big, um, I, I'm a bit of stuck needle with this one coming up with now, but it's the astrology thing, the dragons in astrology, the nodes in our dragon path. And uh, many Westerners tend to ignore these uh, the nodes, there you are. You might be familiar uh, with the nodes. These are the astrologers that focus on them intensely. But for someone starting a reading, perhaps the most important part they should start on is look at a person's node. Why Peter, I think why astrologers are reluctant is it's outside the usual Jungian style of analysis that Western astrologers give birth charts. But really, those nodes, uh, they're a story path. They're our story path. They're like a prophecy of what of our wisdom that we've learned in the past. It's a prophecy of our present. And uh, the map 
of, uh, of our future. Uh, the South Node, for instance, is sometimes described as our past karma and uh, the umbilical cord that's connected, connects our sort of invisible womb uh, to our home, to the kayak, to the spirit, to the, even the dragon inside the hills uh, on the womb where we were born, that we are umbilically connected to the one beautiful woman. I'm just quoting that from the old tale of the trees, Lush the Rowan. So that of our past karma that is going through us, through our nodes, and the north nodes as our future karma. Let's bring that to show you a bit up. And karma that's be dealt with to be experienced. And I call the north node, that's our story. That's our story unraveling. That's our adventure. That's our wilding. Anyway, I'll be bringing this up in the other sessions. And uh, so I'll move on. <laughs> right. Uh, I think really going from that, I would just spend a, a few moments talking about Kundalini. Uh, if people here watching, you're probably very much into the, uh, the Kundalini uh, meditations yourself and yoga in some way. And of course, the I, I love it. I'm, it's an excuse to bring this picture up. It all starts with uh, the sleeping serpent goiled, coiled three and a half times around the base of the spine, the root chakra. So I had to bring this up as an illustration of, and this is uh, from Hazelwood as well, and there's a few trees like this. The root chakra, uh, absolutely brilliant. I love that picture. And the name uh, Kundala. Uh, is linked to the, I gather, uh, it means coiled anyway. Uh, it means coiled. Let's see if I can get some sort of coily link here. Uh, it's uh, reluctant. Um, I really am having the techies today. There we go. There we go. This is something you're probably more familiar with. Um, uh, meaning coiled anyway. And there we have the coiling. And two snakes, two serpents. Coiling round uh, there, and uh, it's said to be Hindu, but I think it's linked more to Persian, Babylonian, even the what we call the northern shamans, the Siberian shamans. I think a lot of this wisdom philosophy is something that they've worked with and was passed along. It's natural. It seems to be a natural human wisdom to pass along. And so the journey is like our journey not only being a dragon, but almost like as if it's a coiled snake and the uncoiling into spiritual maturation, I suppose you'll call it, two snakes around a star and they're crossing each other. Do they do that? You, they cross each other seven times. You all know more about this with this, uh, the, uh, the seven chakra points. So the God, you have the goddess spirit um, awakened, climbs upward, until she reaches her crown chakra at the top of the head and she pierces each chakra and brings an awakening to us. And of course, the question is that brings us back to the dragons. Is this the releasing the fire in our head? Anyway, I think that when the, her journey is complete, the whole Kundalini journey is complete, that's said to be the way to enlightenment. The fire being the way to enlightenment, burning the waste, burning the debris, ready for the grand conception, not only of new life, but our new 
sort of empowerment for the life of the year ahead. It's our own transformation. Heat transforms, it gets rid of diseases. We have fever that gets rid of diseases. It's our whole heating, our whole awareness, and it's where we make our affirmations, I suppose. The life force, being closest to the life force. Some people say so on, but to me, I think the closest to the life force is that grand conception at midwinter, whereas the Sawan sort of triggers us to go underground and get rid of that debris. It's that neutral time ready for that great conception. So when you get the image of the two uh, serpents going around here, uh, there we go. There's another one here, if I can get it. Oh, come on up. Don't be shy. There you go. The two seconds uh, going around the spine. And... Uh, what have I got here? Oh, well, that's uh, the transformation. Uh, the one thing I think, ah, here we go. There's a nice picture I was looking up. There's a nice imagery of uh, the fire in their head, the whole transformation there. But to me, this all very much lines up to the helix, uh, the double helix, our DNA. And then from that, I can't help but think about the uh, caudaceous uh, symbol, the medical symbol. Again, uh, symbolically, the serpent has been considered to be the power beneath the earth that makes plants grow, but also to bring up from that root all the healing that we need. So maybe uh, in winter, uh, this is a, a lovely one. I'm going to bring this one up. Uh, the, the, uh, the energy of conception that converts or fires up the fallen waste as he becomes the new life in spring. Here's the new life of water. Remembering I was mentioning earlier uh, about Ellen going through the cave from Ornegot up to Cache and being transformed into water. And uh, you can perhaps imagine that as being what was Ellen's fire is now the water that's now going to enter the river and it's going to enter the weather uh, and it's going to pour down and it's going to give the fertility for the year ahead. Uh, what a lovely. Um, yeah, Cortaceous, as I say, symbol of healing, medicine, and oath. And uh, there's an excuse to bring that one up. And in classic, because in classical Greek writings, it's claimed that Hermes uh, inherited the spirit of the Cordaceous, uh, Caducus, to become the conductor of souls. So there's a lovely image of it being the conductor of souls. So is, your, is the serpent, the fiery serpent, the conductor of our souls? And of course, that, that would be very Halloween, the thought for the Halloween and the Sawan. Is it a time when our, we allow our souls to be conducted? Or is it a time when our souls are being guided and we bring brought close together? And uh, it's said uh, here, and this is possibly what's going in this picture, that through his magic staff that that serpent is around. The through calling of the, <coughs> excuse me, of a, <coughs> must take another drink, otherwise we'll be speaking to you. So here we go. Here's a uh, Hermes with his staff bringing up the serpent so they can transmit enough healing power that's so powerful it could even raise the dead up from Hades, Hades uh, the dead up maybe from the pool of water and there's a lot of stories about that and in um great
Greeks, Egyptians especially, maybe onto the Persians, the serpents are the symbols of eternity. And the, even if we consider uh, the snake here uh, shedding an old skin as a symbol of uh, shedding the decaying old while celebrating the vibrant fresh newborn of the next spring that's conceived of the midwinter. So I look forward to walking, uh, going further with this, uh, with the water serpents uh, next February. I go much uh, more into that. Okay, is, is there any more comments, any questions from you? I'm, uh, is the waffle going down okay? Uh, I trust you're enjoying that. Anyway, I'm going on to the whole Tour de Danon and the underground now, uh, because that is uh, quite spectacular in itself. And they were, uh, the Tour de Dana, they were being sent to the underground. Here's a bit of an underground image. And what do you see there? Um, because the story of the Doida, this Doida going on underground into the uh, folklore of the lock that's inside of the Kishkoran Hill here, that's very serpenty, I think. And uh, you've got the, all these stories, they were picked up by these medieval saints. And to me, these uh, so saints, I mean, that's the thing. That's a real sales line, isn't it? Uh, to me, these were, the, these scribes, uh, this was just like the beginning of the digital age. You remember when the computers came in with the games and uh, home computers in the 1980s, and then we had the first printed stuff coming into people's homes in 1900, I suppose, when printing machines becoming cheap, all these great revolutions. Of course, scribing, the idea of being able to take these oral sounds and put something down in a linear form, uh, the gospels, the scripture, the stories, and these scribes, they would then proclaim that their books were powerful. And the, 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 and the books became the guiding voices. And the books were then ordered to become the sensory the flames of the century serpents within us. I had a lovely picture. I wonder if I can pick it up. Uh, you know, this is this is the century in the, the flames. This is the flames of our senses. Imagine the, our senses and what comes out if we allow our voice to come out. There we have the flames of our voice coming out as a serpent. That is a serpent that we can all be, I believe. But. Of course, there we have, uh, that's the one I wanted. There we have this good old scribe, poor serpent there on the left, if you can see it. Uh, the scribe by, is writing out the serpent, writing out the dragon, just banishing it, uh, trying to banish it through writing, banish it out of people's tra traditions, changing it, giving it a, a patriarchal slant that suddenly Ellen, uh, suddenly becomes male, for one, in some of the stories. As, and, of course, these scribes are claiming the powers and promise of eternal life, uh, and paradise is offered beyond these devilish serpents. You know, the serpents here, as I've been saying, is very much about eternal life. This is life because when we pass on, when we leave our body, uh, just basic physics tells us that nothing is destroyed. It just becomes something else. The life moves on. And fire to water, water to uh, trees and plants. It just, everything, the energy gun becomes something else. But again, more about that uh, in February.
but uh, here we have the the dragon realm, the serpents, um, the secret guardian of folklore. And if you believe in the, I hope you're not enchanted believing that you're in a Kundalini serpent causes you a lure into eating people, maybe. You're not lured into thinking that serpent is pure evil. I, uh, I kind of urge that no saint, no preacher causes your own inner serpent to become shy. Because what happens when you're shy, you could end up going, hiding yourself into a cave, into a spiral, and you might actually meet Ellen there, and Ellen could transform you into a triple-headed dragon. Now, how about that? How would you treat that? But of course, these dragons, they're, they're Satan, they're, they're the devil, and related in a way to snakes. But if you think of snakes, people think of snakes and venom. But less than 10% of the species of snakes out there carry poisonous venom. Most, of the, most snakes are shy of humans anyway, and they're not carrying venom. So I think we can be confident that less than 10% of humans are harmful. That, um, no, we're essential. Uh, so don't let the inner, uh, so do let that inner Kundalini serpent rise within you. Let it rise and have uh, trust in it. And, as, and then we come to understand this as a cyclical pattern of hibernation and regeneration pattern that's within our sanctuary. And we understand uh, our ability to carry venom. It's not a poisonous venom, but it's a venom of care, of healing, regenerating voice, and regenerating force that can only become powerful when we become confident in it. And it's not destructive, it's a balancer. And oh, I have to show this one. This is the, uh, two very confident women who entered the cave. Oh, and they got Claire's there. So that's a lovely one. The ability of, of coming out and being full of care, healing, and regenerative. Look at those smiles. The transformation of being down there in the Ornegot cave. Uh, but if we, um, if we dissolve the denial of being of nature and growing closer to the earth, we always do, if we become disconnected, we always have that way to awaken the serpent within. And I do believe their own society could begin to reverse and revere the symbol of the dragon and the snake towards being healing, being uh, regenerative, rather than destructive. And let go of the destructive and the evil interpretation. And we can do that through contemplation, dreams, practice, and do that within our chosen sanctuary. Dragon and serpent goddesses and gods, they don't die. They can only transform into something else, something much more wonderful. I believe the serpent symbols awaken us so that we realize we're part of circles. We are spirals. We're not of straight lines. We cannot be calibrated, calculated, or controlled. We are freedom. We are life. We are love. We are infinity. And so that, my friends, 
is what I'm going to share with you about dragons, serpents, and snakes today. Um, and uh, how are you doing uh, there? Uh, any questions uh, before I, I'm going to talk about what's coming up uh, next? And so thanks uh, for holding on and watching that. Um, anyway, that is, and I'll be coming back to that, to say, with water serpents uh, after a whole regeneration time because we're going into someone and that whole underground time for us, hibernation time, and uh, going on to the grand conception of midwinter, and then I'll come back with the serpents in spring. Anyway, can I help you help, uh, please, uh, first of all? Uh, the Karakori Labyrinth Gardens and Sunday Session costs are brought. I managed to put these together despite equipment breaking down, but it's brought to you by subscribers and donations. And for um, subscribers, and let's see if I can, I have to bring this up, this uh, moment of this. Um, I think that's irrelevant. Yes, if you can, uh, anyone who can spare it, uh, if you can go on to the membership, uh, patreon.com, uh, Woodland Bard. Uh, it really does help as far as keeping this going, keeping the Labyrinth Gardens going. And I'm also developing the She, Water, and Tree Folklore course. And this course is going to take these Sunday session subjects, and I'm going to take them into much more depth. I've started working on the framework of this already, uh, because even today I've only touched on the surface of these subjects over dragons and serpents. There's a lot more that I would love to share with you, and I think a course is a way to do this. And the course media that I'll be creating and presenting for you, it'll be ever increasing. There'll be videos, podcasts, slides, ebooks, and Zoom like course meetings where we can get together more intimately rather than broadcast uh, like this. And uh, there'll be some optional projects that you'll be able to have a go at so you can build up the wisdom uh, yourself. So I'm drawing this up because the nights are getting longer. I've got more time to do that now, less time in the garden. So if you can go to the Patreon, I'd really appreciate it for a euro, a pound, or a dollar a month. And the links are all over the Karakori uh, Cottage uh, website as well. Uh, do I have that um, uh, that you get into it? There we go. There's the Karakori Sessions Facebook group there. And uh, we have the channel, Karakori channel uh, there, and Spotify uh, it goes out, this an audio version that goes out here uh, every every week as well. So uh, yeah, people might do their housework to me blabbing away here. Let's see. Uh, anyway, to get back onto what's coming up in the weeks ahead, next week, I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, this is the um, 25th of October, next Sunday. Got the folklore of uh, crows, ravens, and other corvids. Not corvids, corvids. And uh, we had to cancel that last year, so I'm glad to be able to do that online this year. And then uh, the jolly 1st of November, going into Sawan traditions and uh, joining, bringing your own poems and stories for that. Please uh, submit them to me. Let's see if we can get people on live uh, for that one. And then the following 8th of uh, November, because I couldn't do the lighted labyrinth here, make it a, a general Sawan gathering, a kind of ad hoc. You contribute your stories, your poems. Please make this your own session. Uh, it'd be nice to give my voice a break. 8th of uh, November. 
And then uh, another one I'm getting excited about is, uh, is 15th of November is going to be the introduction to harps and bardic folklore. That's mainly going to be, Claire, I'm going to talk a bit about the bards at uh, Kish Koran and about Koran the harper himself. But then Claire is going to lead you into how to be competent with music. You don't have to be a maestro to get started. If you can just pluck one string, you're a musician. If you can tap just one, one thing, you're a musician. And Claire's going to have a session taking you uh, through this. So uh, how are we doing here? Um, Sherry, uh, thanks uh, for the Tales Day. Thank you for being here. Thanks everyone uh, for being here to be uh, part of the uh, rambling uh, that I've been uh, doing here. And ah, it's, it's a subject I love. And as I say, if for those that are sponsors donating, I'll put much more into the course. And of course, you can come back to this in your own time. And I think you'll enjoy following it. And it's something you could do over a few years even uh, and keep coming back to it uh, for a few moments. Well, thank you again for being with us today. And for those who come on later and watching the archive, please keep commenting here, ask your questions, because I'm still going to be watching the comments and answering questions over the next few days whenever they appear. The archive, there's always the archive here. You can watch any of these past Sunday sessions. So it leaves for me to say, enjoy a safe week of wonder, inspiration, celebration, and all those lovely enchantments. So until next Sunday, do play well, keep well, and bye. <laughs>